Dirty Harry is one of Clint Eastwood's most iconic roles, remembered for his hard-edged attitude and grisly one-liners. Today we'll discuss the original 70s film, including its themes, visual style, and of course the character of Dirty Harry himself. Welcome everyone to The Collector's Cut, I am Peter and joining me as always, which is a weird thing to say in episode one, but welcome, David. Now I know what you're thinking. Has this guy ever been in any reviews before? I'll tell you in all this hubbub, I think I've forgotten myself, but yes, I have. Hi, how's it going? Welcome, this is our new show, this is episode one of a brand new format in which we will be reviewing movies, not too dissimilar to other movie review shows that you'll find on Mail Fuzz Movies from myself and the other co-hosts, but the gimmick with this one is that we're going to work through either franchises or pick a theme, where we pick maybe an actor, director, or some sort of subgenre, maybe something funnier, but we'll work through in batches, almost as if it's in like many seasons. So our first yeah. season is going to be Dirty Harry. We're going to work through the five Dirty Harry movies, one episode per movie, and talk about them. Uh, there'll be a bonus episode on Patreon over at patreon.com slash TV of a related movie. In this case, it'll be another Clint Eastwood movie. And that's the, the that's the basic premise. And the whole goal of it is to obviously work through the movies and review them and discuss them, have some fun, as you do, but <laughs> is to assess which one should make the shelf, right? You know, the idea of the collector's cut is that if you're a movie collector, while you're still doing physical movies or you're collecting digitally, what's the point, or not even the point that you say stop? Because some franchises come back and have better entries again later, but yeah. which one's are worth watching, which ones are actually worth owning, which ones are avoid at all costs, do not waste your time, money, effort, or sanity. Which ones are your Terminator and which ones are your Genesis? Perfect, yes. <laughs> that's that's the, the, the perfect way to put it. So, And as we go through some different franchises and so on, maybe we'll see you know, where the trends are, like what, what franchises fall apart at, around entry number three, or how many can make it to double digits should they go that far? Yeah. So, we are going to start this journey with Dirty Harry. Because uh, some of the franchises we do will probably be quite stupid. We wanted to start with a real movie <laughs> that people know <laughs> and, you know, respect. So, Dirty Harry, directed by Don Siegel, 1971? Yes. Yes. 1971. Uh, yeah, so we'll start spoiler-free, as we always will do, and we'll give you a warning before we dive into the most spoilery territory stuff. Uh, I guess the first question I'll ask David is, had you ever seen Dirty Harry before? I had not. Dirty Harry was a... Uh, something. I mean, everyone knows the line about, mm -hmm. you know, the 44 Magnum. Everyone knows that. Uh, but beyond that, no, I have been unaware of Dirty Harry and his antics in the San Francisco Police Department. So this was a fresh view for me, and... Uh, I mean, without getting too much into it, I wasn't disappointed. So, definitely a interesting movie in a lot mm -hmm. of ways. Yeah, uh, it's funny. I brought up IMDb. I noticed that technically it's got an X rating. Uh, I know, which it's so weird. Yeah, I guess it was seen as very risky at the time for a number of reasons, and we'll maybe talk about why why that is. Um, I have seen these before, but I've only seen them once before. I bought a DVD box set back when I was a teenager and watched mm -hmm. them then, so it's been a long time. 
I remembered a few key moments and shots that were really distinctive in my head, but I had forgotten a lot of what the the ins and outs and the going-ons of the movie were. I, I vaguely okay. remembered a sniper. I vaguely remembered, like, a shot of Dirty Harry standing on a bridge, which is a big moment near the, the end of the film. Oh, yeah. But, like, I couldn't have told you a lot about the premise. And, in fact, the weird thing about watching this, again, having seen them before but forgetting most of them, is that I don't really understand how the sequels exist because of the way this movie actually <laughs> wraps up. So that's something we'll talk about in spoilers. Uh, yeah. So we'll, we'll get into all that. Uh, right. And what the arc of Harry's character is. But, yeah, obviously Clint Eastwood playing uh, Harry himself. Yes. Um, I The biggest shock anyone finds who watches this now if they've never seen it is that there's two famous Dirty Harry quotes and only one of them's in this movie. Uh, the other one is in, like, I think it's the fourth movie. Uh, which is the the go ahead make my day? Oh yeah, I forgot that was Dirty Harry. Honestly, yeah. All right. Yeah. The, the... Yeah. What I think what surprised me the most in this movie is that without getting into specifically where they were, the famous line in this one mm-hmm. is actually said twice. As yeah, that caught me off guard. I was like, the first time they said it, I'm like, wow, that's really early in the movie. But I guess that's why it stuck with people. It's like the first cool thing that Harry said, but then it got repeated later on. I'm like, oh. It's so actually, he just practices this in the mirror. <laughs> he just does this. Yeah, it's it's actually used to set... It's like a setup and payoff where they set it up the first time and then it's paid off mm-hmm. later on uh, with a... I'll, I'll just say a different result, shall we say. Yes. <laughs> uh, and it's like, yeah, okay, that's, that's kind of fun. And maybe they knew they were on a cool moment. They, they had a cool line and they weren't afraid to, to use it. Um, I think they just had an ad deal with the 44 Magnum producers because nothing <laughs> sells it better than that. Is 44 Magnum like a specific brand? Or I, I assumed... I, I think Magnum is. I'm really? not okay. a gun nut. I have no idea. I have no idea. I assumed like different makes, makers would make 44 Magnum. I, I assumed that was just the size and type and then different Yeah, 44 is definitely the size. It's oh, yeah. 44, but I don't know about maker of the gun. Yeah. Comment below if you're more intelligent than us. <laughs> uh, or don't. That's fine. Uh, only comment if you're dumber than us so that we'll feel superior and can yes. enjoy that privilege. We will we will be removing every comment that does not have a spelling error. <laughs> Alright, so yeah, the basic premise of Dirty Harry is that there is a killer on the loose in San Francisco mm-hmm. um, who is a sniper who is taking who's killed someone one day, sends in a ransom demand and says that if he doesn't get his money he will kill someone else the next day. So, honestly, it's, it's very old-school Joker when I think about it. It's it's honestly the Zodiac Killer. Like, yeah. straight down to he's in San Francisco and he's taunting the police and he's sending notes and all that. It's just Zodiac Which, over again. I mean, my, my t- I mean, I don't remember exactly when the Zodiac k- killings happened, but I want to say it's be- mm-hmm. it is before this. So this... Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So probably an influence on it um and you can kind of look at dirty harry as a character who's kind of this like fantasy character who is like you know what he's going to do what it takes and like screw the bureaucratic tape of you know yeah. it, like maybe the frustration of not catching the zodiac killers what what, what led to the birth of dirty harry as a character <laughs> like, this is what we all want to happen does someone just be like throw the badge away and say no no i'm going to get him no matter what i'm going to play my own rules yeah i do wonder how I mean, I'm not super familiar with any of the, like, early 60s, 70s movies in the, like, cop genre, Mm. or, you know, the kind of... But I know that it is... It's a meme. It's a commonly used trope of, you know, 
Oh, he's a he's a cop who lives on the edge and doesn't play by the rules. Loose cannon. Loose cannon, exactly. And I'm just wondering how set in stone that was when Dirty Harry came out. Was was this one of the first movies that really like said like no here's how you do it here's the proper way to do that or was this one that's like yeah no we've had like 50 cops on the edge i i want to say dirty harry made what you're thinking of the thing like mm. i'm sure there's noirs that kind of you know delve into it a little bit and oh, yeah. and and, and but, I mean, ever ever since like the '40s, there's always been the the drinking detectives yeah, who yeah. were kicked off but, the force or whatever. But I think the specific he does he can't catch the bad guy until he's not really a cop anymore. I think mm. that trope. I think what you're describing. I think Dirty Harry may have started that yeah. uh, and made that a, a, a thing. And sure enough, like it's, it's it's such a trope now that you you, you kind of cheer for it. <laughs> you're like, oh, they're going to have to hand in their badge so they can go after yep. the killer. That's how they'll catch them. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's, it's, it's this uh, thrown away the rule book kind of idea. Yeah. I was curious to get into this actually about how, because last time I saw it was a teenager, and when I was a teenager, I wasn't thinking politically about anything, but I was curious watching this now as an adult with a bit more sort of set in stone political views, like how I would sort mm-hmm. of view the character of Dirty Harry and the system that he's rebelling against and what his yeah. attitude is. Because, you know, the, the subject of you know, police uh, harassment and brutality comes up, and mm-hmm. as Harry do, and it's hard to like be mad at him necessarily because he's going after this vicious killer who's murdering people and children and <laughs> all sorts. So it's like, you know, it's it's, it, it's yeah. definitely poking at some hard questions about uh, how we deal with people like that. Yes, it's very much uh, ends justify the means sort of character. Yeah, especially with this particular thing where it's so clearly black and white of no he is an evil man doing evil things scorpio by the way i don't think we've said that's the killer yeah uh scorpio is such an evil man doing evil things that no matter fact, how of, of you course, end up getting him of course he's inspired by his, his name's scorpio yeah exactly <laughs> um but no matter how you go about getting him it's going to be justified in the end because you are stopping this evil from existing yeah so no matter what i mean it's the perfect thing to set harry against if it were something more along the lines of like i don't know a domestic violence or something like that and harry showed up where it isn't as clean cut as like who's in the right who's in the wrong like which side is to be believed or anything like that i don't think harry would work i don't think you would as a character root for him because you'd be like are you sure you want to do that are you positive that's the right choice there but it's only I think everything that Harry comes against in this movie is so cut and dry, black and white of here's the right thing to do. And then the bureaucracy is telling him like, no, Harry, you can't do it like that. And he's like, screw it. Why not? <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's definitely one or two times he makes a choice where I'm like, ah, technically you're wrong here. <laughs> like technically yeah. I, I can't really agree with this course of action. Is that, is but that... that technically is the bureaucracy talk. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of interesting. Cause you know, I don't want to, obviously we, one of the few things you, you've done prior to this is we did a three-hour discussion of the Batman <laughs> earlier this year. And I don't want to just bring up Batman every time. But there is actually mm-hmm. a bit of a comparison to make here and about a character working outside the rules to take down the villainous criminal. And this, the, you know, Scorpio is this unhinged lunatic who's doing a lot of awful things. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's definitely something by the end of the film. Obviously, Dirty Harry is a lot more willing to just shoot people in the face <laughs> as a character, oh, yeah. which is very different Absolutely. from Batman. But... The idea of like ultimately having to like let go of the shackles of the system to like do the, ultimately the morally right thing to take this guy down, 
uh, is definitely part of the story. So uh, we, we can get to that. I mean, I mean, it sounds like you you enjoyed the film. Is that is that correct? Yeah, I I would say I enjoyed the film in the most general sense. I don't want to get too specific with what I actually did enjoy until we get closer to the spoiler section, mm. or at least getting through it. But I did definitely enjoy the film in the sense of it did some really it did things that I didn't think a film would have done back then. Because looking at it as, okay, here's Clint Eastwood, and he wants to do, you know, this dirty cop movie, whatever he wants to do about it. They put a lot of effort into things that I don't think that many studios would have done. Mm. Like, in terms of, like, the guy's a sniper. Scorpio's a sniper. And there are multiple shots in this from the perspective of, like, helicopters flying around San Francisco. And they could have easily have just taken a shot from the rooftops of San Francisco and given that vantage point. But they're like, no, the police are going around in helicopters. We're going to go about and show this entire thing. There's no need to put in that much effort, but they did. And one that got me uh, later on in the movie is there's a scene at a football field. And they do a pole camera basically right up against uh, Harry all the way out via, I'm assuming, another helicopter shot. Completely unnecessary, but it really sells the moment. That's why it's one of the best shots in the movie. So I would... Yeah. Like, when it comes to art, necessary and what makes it what it is is, are two very different things. Uh, Yes. You know, so I I think there's a lot of good cinematography in this movie. It's got a lot of uh, gritty shots. There's a lot of scenes where it's not afraid to let the characters just be covered in darkness in certain scenes. Uh, there's a scene where Harry is talking to like a suicide jumper and it's, it's, it's just like a little side tangent almost in the movie to give you a bit of Harry's character. But when he right. goes up in the, the cherry picker, uh, which is why I'd call that. I don't know if Americans have a different name for it. No, yeah, that's, yeah, that's basically what I got. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like he goes up in this cherry picker and by the time he gets up there, because he's a, like they're above where all the lights are because it's nighttime, like there's so much darkness that there's just this like mm-hmm. really eerie mood to it almost when he's up there talking to this guy who's like on the edge of the building. <laughs> Yeah. That it's just like, oh, there's a really distinct look to this. And it's one of my favorite things about the movie is how it feels and looks, which I think is one of its strengths. Because I, I do think there's actually a couple of things in it that feel a bit silly and feel a bit contrived. Um, the the big famous, you know, monologue he has about mm-hmm. the five shots, six shots, you know, do you feel lucky, punk? It's a very quotable line. I will say his delivery of it the first time uh, catches me off guard because it doesn't sound like that cool the way he says it the first time but the second mm. time he says it is the is the inflection that people use when they quote it right yeah. i feel like people people show the clip of it they always show the clip of the first time but it's the mm. second time that people are actually mimicking when they're doing the impression yeah it like absolutely I, is. that that first time is what made me think like no he just he just practices this in the mirror <laughs> he just does this but uh that that scene is like it's this random thing where he just kind of like suspects there might be like a bank robbery happening and Mm. it just sort of like breaks out and he has to put down his hot dog and go deal with it. It's actually a really silly contrived, like just as he's getting his lunch, there's a bank robbery happening with like armed gunmen coming out. I mean, it's even sillier than that is that the entire time that he's opening fire on these armed gunmen, he's still chewing his hot dog. His mouth is full. (laughs) And he's walking down the street and they do technically like try to shoot him first, but it does kind of feel like he is so trigger happy. He just pulled the gun out oh. and start blasting. Like, Absolutely. you know, it's, it's the Frank from It's Always Sunny like meme. That, so anyway, I started blasting. Like, yeah. it really is that. 
Uh, so that 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 those elements feel very of its time, and I can appreciate it in that context. It's the sort of thing that if a modern movie did this exact scene, unless it was going for like like a parody or some kind of like, you know, satire on it, I would probably mm-hmm. critique it and say this feels off. But this feels a bit more earnest here because it's coming from this different time period where right it, it feels more genuine and more like this is just like this was cutting edge at the time to 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 have them do yeah, this for sure. I mean, it was. You were talking earlier about the feel of the movie, and one thing that really stuck out to me during that um, suicide jumper scene is that the city, I feel like it's something that got lost over time, where, you know, things with everyone who's on set needs to be, like, insured, and they all need to be covered by the company or whatever like that. I don't know if that was the case in this movie, but it felt like San Francisco was so full. Mm. Like, it, it felt like there were people there everywhere. Where I feel like most modern movies, it almost feels a little bit sanitized in that, like, yeah, no, there's, you know, there's a group of people walking by in the background, but it's not like this. The suicide jumper scene, there is a crowd, not just a couple of onlookers. There is like a full block's worth of people all standing around looking at this guy. And I I can't remember the last time I think anyone would have shelled out that much of just human cattle, pretty much, to fill in that scene and again it served no story purpose that there needed to be that many people around but it just made the city feel that much more busy and that much more alive than i feel like most cities do nowadays yeah you get the feeling when like when there's shots of them walking down the street and crossing the road and there's pedestrians and stuff it it does kind of feel like and this may not be true maybe they're just, they're just really doing a good job of recreating it but it almost just feels like oh they know they did this guerrilla style where they just shot him walking down the street with no people directing traffic and he just had to make his way through so he, it really feels like he's having to you know find his way through a busy city as opposed to oh it's yeah. perfectly timed and he's, he's walking on um and part of that might be yeah when you've got big crowd scenes like that you just let randomers like come up and be part because they're so far down there you're not going to see anyone do anything that's going to ruin the scene right. So mm-hmm. it's it's okay, but yeah, maybe, maybe there is some truth to that. I don't know. Like uh, the scene that makes me think of, probably because it's from the seventies as well, is the scene in Superman uh, with the helicopter, mm-hmm. with all the crowds down at the bottom and they're they're looking up. Maybe it's just because like this was a time when you had to get extras if you wanted people. So movies yeah. were used to doing a lot of extras, uh, assuming they are all extras. Whereas mm-hmm. today, maybe there's this attitude of. Oh, if you want people in the background, we can put them in the CG. But then when they get to post, like, oh, there's no time or money for that now. Let's just leave it. It's just right. fine. We'll just, yeah. yeah. The, the dozen people's enough kind of thing. I feel like what it usually is is that they have the establishing shot with a bunch of people. Mm. They have this this setup where it's like, oh, yes, no, this is, a, it, this is a busy restaurant, but we're sitting in the back, so we're not actually going to see anybody. <clears throat> yes. But don't worry. It's a busy restaurant over there. And that's just one of those little things. It's not a big deal, but it's one of the, the no. things between... Well, it's just it's like a gauge of production value in a weird way, because if you can show it more often, if you can make it feel more alive, then that's a sign that there was more money or at least more detail and attention spent to those particular things. Right. That, uh, you know, it, it does. It, it feels like a, a living city. It feels like the city itself is almost a character in this... Um, and it's not a movie that's constantly talking about the cities if it is a character because some some movies do that and some yeah and it's, 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 it's neither good nor bad it's just if it works for the movie it can work uh here the city feels like a character despite the fact that it's never really talked about in that way um 
you know they, they mention it a few times but i think the reason why it feels like a, a place other than it just feeling alive with a lot of extras and a lot of locations is that it does go to kind of notable places we spend a lot of time on rooftops looking down at parks we spend a lot of time at a football stadium we spend time at like a quarry i think towards the end and yes. there's parts of the highway you just you get, you get a feel for a lot of different areas in the city so it feels like a fully living breathing world as opposed yeah, to it's it's not all of the chase scenes happen in the warehouse district yes. not all of the fight scenes happen in the quarry district it's very varied where you get this whole feel of honestly that was my um concern just starting up the movie it starts very quickly very suddenly mm. with uh scorpio looking through a sniper at a woman who's swimming on the rooftop and this was literally like, he knew that this was the only vantage point to get to this woman, and he set this all up so that the police would get to his note. Like, they, it yeah. was all planned in advance. But I was very worried before they got to that point because it was very much a, okay, we're on top of this incredibly t- tall building, looking down at this other tall building that has nothing around it. And it felt very on sets, I guess I would say. mm it felt like it was just kind of built for the purpose of getting that scene. And I thought, oh, is that going to be a thing that we're going to be doing the whole movie where it's like, oh, we're just now we're in the police department and you're not going to see anything except for like this three walls and the desk. But then as soon as the scene ended, we immediately saw Harry walking through the city, going from the one building over to the other. That's my favorite and part. Like, That's my favorite part of that is that you get the whole thought process where he because he goes up to the crime scene where the pool is and mm-hmm. he's looking at the body and stuff and he's looking around like okay where could this have come from what is the and he sees the one tall building it could be so it, you know, it, mm-hmm. it plays into the crime scene that there is this one taller building it's the only place it could be the vantage point so right you know we were talking earlier about him walking through the pedestrians walking across like that's this is where i was talking about it he's 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 walking, and at first you think, well, where's he going? Where's he going? And then he walks up, and you realize, oh, he's went to the building where the shooter must have been, and he sees the, mm-hmm. the shell casing, and he, he sees the note ultimately pinned on the, the thing. So, yeah, that's great. Uh, yeah. I love that element. Yeah. And it's something to bring up later on in the film as well, is like, well, he, he likes using rooftops, but, you know, most rooftops are going to be locked. You can't just walk up to any rooftop that you want. Yeah. Uh, only yeah. certain buildings are going to be accessible for whatever reason, so... Uh, so they, they played with it. They used that as one of the, the thinking devices as the, mm. as the movie goes on. So yeah. yeah. So I think shortly after that, uh, they find the note. They guy wants a ransom. I think it's a hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars. And which seems quite low in today's money for oh, this type absolutely. of ransom. But yeah, <laughs> that's that's the uh, Austin Powers gag. Doctor Evil gets out and he's <laughs> like, "Well, what's a good amount? I don't." Is it a hundred? A million <laughs> at least. <laughs> But uh, he says otherwise he'll keep on killing. And then Harry, I can't remember exactly how we get from the next scene, but basically he gets a partner. And it is, uh, I think it's Chico Gonzalez is the name. And he's like a completely new detective. And Harry is not at all happy about that. So I I think that having in, if, I don't know if this was ever planned to be a franchise or whether or not they were just Dirty Harry and then they made more. I, I, doubt, um, I doubt it was planned as a franchise, would be my guess. Fair enough. But it, I think that it did a fantastic job introducing Chico as basically the audience stand-in character, mm. where it made it a believable thing of like, no, you're partnered with this new guy, and he's 
he's not asking questions about like the procedure of things. He's not asking questions about yeah, how still, do he, we he, do police work. He's still trained. He's still a cop. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's only asking questions about the like the social aspects. Like why do they call you Dirty Harry? And why this? Why that? They're just asking about the world and the characters rather than the you know, oh, well, what do you mean Miranda writes? I'm, huh? So. Yeah. Yeah, no, even even mentioned that, you know, he's from this area as well, so he's not even asking about the city or anything like that. It Like, it's purely just Harry. It's purely just who he's working with that he's asking about. Right. Uh, so. Uh, I will say, I will say, I don't know how appropriate it was. It makes sense, I think, for the police. But they they are very openly racist. Oh yeah, absolutely. Extremely openly racist. Well, I think it's interesting because like they casually throw around some racial terms at one point when they're they're talking about it, mm-hmm. but they're kind of doing it in this jokey way uh, when mm-hmm. they're sort of joking about why Harry's called Dirty Harry and it's like oh he hates everyone. And then they list a bunch of like basically races, but with words that <laughs> I'm not going to repeat. Yeah. Uh, but there's a really interesting moment because uh, the Scorpio's like first note. Uh, his mm-hmm. threat at the end of it, it's not just that he's going to kill someone tomorrow. He says, maybe tomorrow I'll kill a Catholic priest or I'll say black person, but you can put in... He didn't say that. Yeah. Um, but there's a great moment in that scene where the it's like the police chief uh, is is reading it, or maybe it's the mayor that's reading it. And mm-hmm. he gets to that last word and he just kind of like doesn't say it and moves on. And it kind of feels like, to me, that between that scene where the mayor's feeling awkward and consciously saying i'm not going to say that but then you see harry and the cops openly use those words mm-hmm. it really feels like it's pointing out kind of like where the society is right now as the movie's mm-hmm. being made where right. I, I know, like a lot of people are trying to make a conscious effort to improve that side of things but clearly mm-hmm. there's a lot of you know down the totem pole people who are still just throwing it around like it's no tomorrow yeah. I mean, uh, someone in a public office like the mayor is obviously going to care more about the image than yeah. some cops hanging out in their own back room. So. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, which, you know, it's interesting because I think I, I don't know if it has plays this way in 71 when it comes out, but to a modern audience, I think most people like, oh, that's interesting. Harry just said something kind of racist because now you're going to have to work a little harder to make me kind of root for mm-hmm. him. Like, that's, that's an off-putting quality to the modern audience. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> but, I honestly think the entire first... I want to say first act. It's hard to tell where the act delineates here, mm. uh, but the entire first act of just learning about Harry, we are given nothing to actually like about him. Like, he's not a good guy in anything we've seen him do. He's very, as we've said, very trigger-happy, very openly racist, uh, not sociable in any regard. The only thing that gets us and i think that it's been a term that's been thrown around a lot especially in television nowadays is the competence of them in Mm. the same way that like you know breaking bad like house of cards those shows are about people who are horrible people but are so competent at what they do you can't help but root for them and i feel that dirty harry's in the same sort of way of he saw that robbery coming with just a car idling outside a bank that's the that that's how you are as an audience looking at him and being like, okay, I trust him to do whatever he wants to do then because yeah, he clearly knows what he's doing. Yeah, I mean, I think it goes back to the very first thing I said about Harry as a character is that I think ultimately he has this kind of wish fulfillment of, and you you could look at this as um, you know, 
Like, I think the, the the problematic side you could look at this from is the idea of, like, oh, you want to give police more power to just do what they want and be, you know, reckless. Oh, yeah. and they, Like, obviously, I don't want that. that. And that's why I got into this. I was thinking, oh, am I going to feel weird about some of this, you know, with a, a modern lens and now that I've, you know, I've grown up a bit and I'm thinking mm-hmm. about these things a bit more. But when I look at this movie, it does kind of feel like this wish fulfillment thing. It's like, okay, this guy, he's after Scorpio. is so bad. He's so deranged. And we're seeing all these awful things he's doing and how the system is failing to kind of deal with him and part of that's harry's fault at one point to be honest but you know oh, absolutely we'll, we'll talk about that um but ultimately like it doesn't matter at a certain point there's some people so bad that all of the rules don't matter and that you just have to stop them because it's worth saving the people that are in danger more so than it is justice right um who cares if he walks free or you have to kill him if it's going to save the lives or lives of innocent people who are in danger, right? especially if it's children, which, you know, it's, at a certain point it's going to be in this movie. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, this is kind of the wish fulfillment of, like, just dealing with it and that there's someone out there who can do it, right? Which is why I do think the comparison to Batman is slightly there. Like, there is a kind of a slight element oh, yeah. of that to the character. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, Clint Eastwood obviously has got a lot of charisma. You know, he's a movie star. He feels like a movie star. The way he walks, the way he talks... He always commands the screen in the pre- you know, he's always got this presence there. Mm. All of those things make it easy to be engaged whilst watching him, even if you don't necessarily like him as a person, you know, the character that is. Like, even yeah. if you're having some, well, you know, I don't know if I necessarily agree with this, this attitude or, or like what he's doing. Um, so, and I imagine that a modern audience does find more things to dislike about Harry as a character and the choices he makes verses mm. at a time but i still think the fundamentals of what the movie is still works because ultimately it is still this fantasy of like oh there's someone who can do what needs to be done to take down this really horrific person because no one no one is going to watch this and think oh yeah scorpio like we should we should uh <laughs> respect his rights here it needs yeah. to... but i mean they specifically make that point about yeah. how i mean that's getting into close to spoilers but yeah, yeah, yeah there is a point in this movie where they do straight up talk about like what rights does he have still as a person and harry's just like he's killed people <laughs> this is not a discussion yeah uh so yeah there's those debates to have there and you know we'll probably go into that a little bit deeper as mm-hmm. we talk about the specifics so um but yeah, now cinematography is great. Uh, I really wanted to show that. I, I think it's the, probably the biggest oh, star right. of the movie for me is the cinematography. I think the plot yeah. is the one thing I do remember about the sequels is that none of them have as good a plot or villain as the first one because the first one has yeah. such this really focused, specific idea. There's this madman who's killing people, and he's very uh, brutal. He's very childish in some ways as well. Uh, you know, when you actually sort of see a bit more of him later in the film, it's like, oh no, he's not just he's not this cold, calculating. You know, that's that's where he's maybe different from what you think, at least what you think of the Zodiac. Like, he feels mm-hmm. like he's a bit more gleeful in some of his actions and the way he is. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, as you said, Joker is a apt comparison. It yeah. is someone who's very much unhinged, but is still, he's not bitter, really. He's more so just like, nope, this is just what I choose to do today. I rolled out of bed and chose violence. Yes. Uh, so, all all that stuff works really well. Uh, performances from these actors are obviously Eastwood is Eastwood, and he's very dependable in this type of role. <laughs> like, there's, mm-hmm. there's no denying no. that. I think the guy playing Scorpio is also pretty good in the role. Yeah, I I think that 
it was weird to me because they didn't even hide him. Like they showed oh, him man. up on the roof there in that very first shot and they showed his full face and everything like that. And I was like, oh, okay. Are we, I guess it isn't a mystery to the audience then of who this guy is. Like we, we're not going to have that scene where, you know, Harry unknowingly sits down next to him. Yeah, they, they have they, like maybe like a couple of seconds of mystery because it starts off with just like the, I think the first shot of him technically is looking at the barrel of the gun. So he's like, you see kind of right. his hair out of focus, like sort of mm-hmm. in the background. But yeah, you see his face quite quickly and it's like, no, oh, this is not about like who it is. Like the the, the, the point of it, uh, his name is not important. That's really not the, the purpose yeah. here, you know? And I mean, even then he was never named. He was only ever called Scorpio. That's they never said Scorpio, a.k.a. Brian. They were just like, no, it's just Scorpio. Yeah, yeah. Uh, did they ever find out? Maybe they didn't. But like they... No, if they did, they never gave it to us. Yeah, they never mentioned it to the audience. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Um, so, no, good stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, other than that, I mean, all the other characters, I don't say, I think, are big enough to warrant too much of a discussion. They're all fine in their, their, their roles. Yeah, no, I mean, there was... Um, the only scene that I would want to bring up in terms of characterization is, I think it's his lieutenant, uh, I I certainly thought that the beginning of the movie, the lieutenant was kind of giving Harry a hard time about how he did a certain case back yeah. then. I, I think it was something about a uh, rapist or something like that yeah. and how he handled the case. But then as the movie went on, the lieutenant is very obviously on Harry's side. Like he's on the side of wanting to catch Scorpio. He's not the guy sitting there going like, give me your badge. You clearly are too emotionally involved in this he's like no like go out do the job right at one point later in the movie um when they have to give scorpio some money uh harry like says hey i'll be the bag man and he outwardly shows his lieutenant like hey i'm bringing along a weapon even though he said not to and then after everything is said and done he the lieutenant's like this is all going to come down on me and harry's like no it's not like just blame me whatever who well, cares? To, to continue with the Batman comparison, he's kind of like he's Gordon in that he's part yeah. of the system. He's like this middleman who like ultimately thinks that Harry needs to exist, but he, he has to try and enforce some of the rules from up above. But, you mm-hmm. know, he sees him strapping the switchblade to his his, uh, his leg, and mm-hmm. you know, he sort of has this sad moment where he's like, oh, it's a shame that, you know, it's, you know, it's sad that a, a cop has to be like skilled in a weapon like that. Um, like you know, it shouldn't have to be that way, kind of thing. Uh, and yeah. you know, I feel like, a, yeah, it's an interesting beat there from, from him, and kind of this middle, middle management almost role between mm-hmm. Harry and like the the mayor and the commissioner and the higher ups. Yeah, uh, that's interesting. Uh, you mentioned the so the scene early on uh, when they bring up this old case where the mayor mm-hmm. says to him, uh, maybe this part I'll just say spoilers because I'm going to start talking about specifics here. So yeah, why not? Uh, so full spoilers for Dirty Harry from this point on. Um, so yeah, that, that scene early on where he's in the mayor's office and Harry immediately shows his character basically making it very clear that he's he feels like he's been wasting his time because he's been in the waiting room for the mayor for like two hours. He's like, mm. this is wasting the time. You want me to solve the case and catch the bad right. guy? Like, you're, you're making me wait in your goddamn office. Mm-hmm. But they bring up, he brings up this case. The mayor says, I don't want any trouble that you did that thing last year. And as through the dialogue, we find out that he shot a rapist who was chasing a woman down an alleyway with intent to rape. And the mayor says something to the effect of like, well, how did you know that's what his intent was? You, you can't shoot someone because they, you believe they intend to do something. And he mm-hmm. says, well, 
he was naked holding a knife and he had a hard on so <laughs> I, I made some deductions and it's and i think this is again going back to the idea of the movie is that the movie well it's in a very gritty world it's making it very black and white because i think you hear you hear that those details and you go oh and it even plays it almost like a comedy beat because it cuts back to the mayor oh, yeah. at the end of the scene and he goes you know what i think he's got a point and it cuts to the next scene and mm-hmm. it, it, it does play like a, almost like a, a laugh at the end of the scene where the mayor's like oh you know what he may be right <laughs> maybe maybe he should have taken him out yeah uh so it's it's interesting that it's kind of like saying sometimes the bad guy is just the bad guy and like this the system is is at fault uh kind of thing yeah i mean i think that's if we're getting into full spoilers now the I think that's kind of the point of the movie is this is such a clear delineation of this guy is bad. He is evil. And Harry's job, as he sees it, is to stop that guy via whatever means necessary. Like, no matter what, protect people from getting hurt again. And the whole reason that the movie exists, I think, is a you know, have a good standoff of good versus evil, obviously. But B, by the time we hit the end, Harry has had to go through the ringer in every regard, like physically, mentally, because someone died because theoretically he wasn't fast enough, even though even he believed uh, she was dead beforehand. But which is also, by the end, which by the way is also very Joker. The, oh, the, the person you were trying to save was already dead in the trunk somewhere. Oh, absolutely. Kind of thing. Absolutely. Um, but no, then by the end, all the bureaucracy that has gotten in the way and has basically gotten to this point telling him, no, you can't do that. You, he's able to go is basically just enforcing Harry's viewpoint of this black and white morality, where if the bureaucracy is saying that he gets to go, that makes the bureaucracy an enabler of this evil. And therefore it also has to go. Hmm. It's it's that's the reason why at the end he takes off his badge, he throws it away because he's like I, I cannot do good in a system that will permit evil. Yeah, and that feels like the the, the arc of the movie is he chooses mm-hmm. to take that badge off and he throws it away, and because he realizes the only way he was able to stop this guy is because he ultimately he basically has a frankly my dear I don't give a damn when he's talking to the mayor towards the yeah. end, uh when this big like final sort of like circumstance comes up and he's killed the bad guy and he looks at the badge and he's like yeah like ultimately i'm not a cop because what a cop is is not what i am i Mm. I am someone who stops these bad guys no matter what and clearly that's not what being a police officer really is which is why i think it's really weird because the movie opens with this dedication to uh fallen police officers in san francisco Mm. and it and i assume these are real names it sort of like does like a just like a sort of camera tilt down these names and the years that they they passed away like basically from the start of the century up until it i don't know 40 something Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, there's like maybe one or two, maybe three a year police officers in the city that died on, on duty. Um, yeah. And I think it's interesting to end that movie that starts with that dedication with, no, this character had to give that up because uh, it, it, like, it was a hindrance on, on stopping something bad. Um, yeah. And I, I think, well, it is a bit of wish fantasy. I, I, I don't think the movie's saying that we have to have characters in the real world like this. I think it's just trying to provoke the question of, when is the system in the way of actually protecting people as opposed to, yeah. you know, uh, I mean, I think, I think that if that makes it all the more sensical as to why there is that dedication, because out of anyone, if you are in the police, I'm assuming they hate dealing with the bureaucracy more than anyone else. Mm-hmm. 
they they would as long as they are you know actually good cops they want to catch the bad guys well, they is, want to sadly a big f you know like, yes, there's a reason why exactly. there has to be rules for police and why they should be enforced but you know, absolutely that's, that's another debate but i mean we get into that in the entire middle of the movie is we after the uh they talk to some random guy and just like hey have you seen this guy's like yeah he's literally right over there and they're just like oh okay cool let's go so they go in they go in without a warrant they uh end up basically brutalizing him because they're trying to get the location of this girl that he supposedly has hostage yeah harry shoots him in the leg to stop him from running and yeah comes over and it's this big thing you know it's like because the floodlights come on in the stadium and the, the big camera shot that you mentioned where the camera pulls back and uh, mm-hmm. Harry's like standing over him, kind of victorious, and it, but it feels like there's a bit of a, a bitterness to it because you sort of realize this can't be the the ending. Um, See, you say that, but I felt like this movie. That's why I had a trouble breaking down the three act structure to it. I felt like this movie was about to end like four times. Really, like the <laughs> I, like the first time uh, they were like chasing the guy down. They had the helicopter find him on top of the roof, and I was like, oh, okay. So we have like a positive identification. This should end up very quickly then. And then the movie kept going. Yeah, but that was like and 30 then, that was like 30 minutes in. There's no way it yeah, was no. ending then. <laughs> I I definitely that's why I was like so I was so confused. I was like is this like just the first guy and then it leads to a second guy? I don't where are we going with this? But then after that, uh we had the football scene and that felt like, you know, we had Harry get knocked down and out. We had the guy get shot in the leg. He's begging for his life. It has that huge cinematic shot pulling out. And I'm like, that feels like an end of like, as like we're about to go into the denouement. Like we're just going to take it down of like we caught the guy. But then they go into the whole thing of like, no, you broke like all the laws we have in terms of getting somebody dead yeah. to rights. Like you were just going to bring him in dead. Like you ruined the evidence because you went into this like, like little habitat he's got without a warrant so that rifle mm-hmm. that we can match to the the, peop- the the gun that killed people doesn't matter because you yeah. didn't do it the right way um so we have to let him walk and because I, I think the, the reason why it does feel like an ending is because to harry it is to harry mm-hmm. he's just i mean he's not found the girl yet necessarily yet but it's kind I of mean, just, they, before you know. they had that scene they show them pulling the dead girl out of the ground like they they had that Showing that he was too late to get to her. No, I think that was that was after the football stadium scene. It was after the football stadium, yeah. but it was before the talk with. The oh, sure, no, I mean, but I mean, in yeah. the football stadium scene, it feels like an ending for Harry. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, like it, the camera pulls back, and and then it's sort of all pulled away from him because, yeah, like he's going to have to go for all these reasons, and mm-hmm. I don't think the DA and the the judge that are explaining this to him are being unreasonable or, or being no. villainous or, or antagonistic in how they're saying Definitely it. It's, it's like, no, these are the simple rules of how we function. Mm-hmm. You can't yeah, just mean, do this, you know? I, I know that... Uh, I don't know exactly when it happened, but there, there was a thing in uh, Shawshank Redemption mm. where when they were arresting a character, because I'm not going to spoil any of that, when they were arresting a character, they specifically show one of the officers holding a card with the Miranda rights on it saying you have the right to remain silent. You have the right to an attorney because they were so new at that point that like officers didn't just have it memorized. (laughs) And I don't, I don't know exactly when it was instituted and when everybody had to do it and whatnot. But I do feel like that was the sort of thing that like during this period, during like sixties era, that's probably around the time period where it's like, no, like you, 
there are certain rules here that you have to do to bring people in. Like, mm. you can't just... Obviously, warrants have always been a thing, but in terms of, like, no, they have rights, and they need to know their rights, and they always have these rights. And that's where Harry comes in being like, I have the opinion that he forfeited that when he killed multiple people. Yeah, it, it's... Obviously, the justice system needs to exist in some form. There has to be trials, there has to be juries, because we have to, like, you know, people can sometimes be mistakenly arrested, like, they get false mm -hmm. accusations, things like that. Yeah. Um, but obviously, by this point in the movie, like, Harry knows this guy is guilty of what he's doing. Like, this is the guy. Yeah. You know, Absolutely. this is the guy in the ski mask that kicked him while he was down, because he knows that, and he knows that for a fact, because he stabbed him in the leg, and this guy's got a stab wound in that spot in the leg. Mm -hmm. Like, the amount of coincidences that would need to happen for this to be an innocent, <laughs> like, second person would be absurd. So, yeah. he he knows who it is. He knows he's found the guy. Uh, and it becomes this this question of, like... And there's so many, like, cop shows and movies, you know, talk about, okay, we all know it's this guy now, but now we have to, like, prove it. Now we have to find the, the right evidence to put them away and, mm -hmm. and, and deal with it that way. Um, and it is this thing where scorpio's released and well the first thing he actually does is go and pays a guy to beat him up so that he can i was hoping you were gonna bring that yeah, up that was part i was like what yeah he can claim pol police brutality but what i was going to say is that quite quickly after that he immediately starts finding victims again and finding mm -hmm. even more like you know it's like there's some really like and i say good in the sense that it's effective uh, moments of violence in this movie where mm. uh, he's like chatting to this guy in like a liquor store and he just like smashes the bottle over his head before he robs mm. him and it just like it, it feels so unhinged and deranged the way he just kind of casually does it um oh yeah uh really effective and then the fact that he you know the big finale section of the movie is that he kidnaps a bunch of kids on a school bus and he kidnaps you know the, the bus drivers this woman that he's holding a gun to and saying you know drive and he tries to do a ransom demand again and this is the big thing that ultimately prompts Harry to be like, screw your rules, I'm going to go and get this prick right now, because this is, like, too much is on the line. Um, mm -hmm. that, that This whole, like, final section, like, there's a moment where the kids don't know they're in danger at first, and they're singing along, and this, this guy's like, yeah, let's all sing songs together. But then one kid sort of questions, where are we going? This, we're going somewhere funny. Like, I kind of want to just go to my mum now. And yeah. Scorpio immediately just snaps and punches the kid in the face. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, all right. If you want to sell me this character's unhinged and it needs to be stopped, I mean, that was a pretty good way of showing it. Yeah, I mean, the, we keep on making that comparison to Joker, but it really is... I think that's what sells Scorpio as an interesting character is that it is genuinely impossible to tell whether or not he is flying by the seat of his pants or if he has all this planned out. Mm. Because, like, that whole uh, liquor store robbery part, that seems like the sort of thing where he was just standing outside and he was like, yeah, this could probably work. And then he just did it. Like he just walked in, made a short conversation, then bashed the guy and walked out after stealing the guy's gun. Uh, but then in terms of the beating up, being beaten up in order to frame Harry for even more police brutality, like that's something that required thought and planning and being able to go through an intense amount of pain in order just to do this thing. It was very well thought out. It was very meticulously planned to make sure that like, no, there are reporters here and I'm going to tell the reporters this name specifically. Yeah. Which so is the one cop. 
who can do anything won't actually be able to do anything. Yeah, it's so that they'll go hard on Harry to like back off and gives him a bit of free reign. And then that's when he does the liquor store thing. I would argue the liquor store thing, well, it feels random. I do think there's a purpose to it. I think the whole point of it was to steal the guy's gun. Because he goes in and says... Oh, yeah, oh, no, it's yeah, that's you, obviously the purpose, yeah. but I'm saying that it didn't feel planned. It felt yeah. like he needed a gun, so he immediately just did the first thing that came to mind where he was going yeah. to get a gun. Yeah, but he needs a gun because he wants to do his hostage thing. So, And obviously the mm-hmm. bus thing is fairly well thought out. I mean... Maybe not as thought out as some of the earlier stuff where he had all this plan. Because, you know, when he does the first big uh, ransom thing where he's got... Because mm-hmm. at first they don't pay him after he's killed someone, so he kills a second. Uh, that's when they, like, catch him on a roof. And because he can't kill the first person he was going to kill, which I think was a, was a gay guy, just, just from the, the body language and the way that he was kind of with the other guy. Yes. Uh, and it's San Francisco as well, which I, I know mm-hmm. is, like, you know, the Harvey Milk kind of like mm-hmm. era and whatever. But... Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, he's already proven himself racist from the first note, um, so it's not a shock that, to find that he's probably also homophobic, which I think this was implying as well. But he's also oh, he's also kind of bitter, because when he gets caught and he has to run away here, he runs uh, and goes to, like, a black neighborhood and just kills a kid. Like, you know, they find mm-hmm. that body, like, the next day. So it's like, okay, he's petty as well. Like, you know, if, if he doesn't get his way, he's going to act like a child and just do whatever he wants to. Uh, and that's yeah. kind of and it's probably it's probably more interesting because much like the Joker, we do not get a backstory. They do not discover yeah. who he is, what his origin is. Is he like a vet who's got PTSD? Is he mm-hmm. someone who was like tortured as a child by an abusive parent? Is he you know whatever the reasons you might want to like put in that gives him his trauma? Yeah, none of that. It's just you know, it's a mystery. He just he's he's a product of this world, whatever it may be. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, because that that is counterproductive to what the movie is doing. Again, it's going for this black and white, very clearly evil. Mm. As soon as you give any sort of humanizing anything to the character, it immediately allows you to be like, okay, well, I kind of get why he's doing this, even if I don't agree with it. I understand, you know, from a bad childhood or PTSD or whatever like that. It's the reason that, you know, once you... When it, if you viewed the movie Rambo from solely the police det- officer's perspective, he's just a mass killer. But it's only because we see the other side, and I guess not Rambo, whatever the first, first one actually first was. Blood. First Blood, yeah. that's right. Uh, it's on the it, list. It's only because we see his side of things that we're like, okay, but like, no, we get it. We understand why Rambo became Rambo. For this movie, that would be counterproductive because... As soon as you start humanizing this evil, that's when you start questioning whether or not Harry is actually doing the right thing. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, Harry like volunteers to be the money guy when when these first killings haven't worked. He kidnaps a fourteen year old girl, which, by the way, when they pulled out her naked dead body, like mm. I know the actress is probably older, but like it weirded me out that they told me she was fourteen, oh, and yeah. then like there's there's a full frontal of this you know, body coming out. I'm like, Jesus. Yeah. Um, it definitely sold the the horror of it, though. Like, I really was like, okay, all right, this is disturbing, and, you know, suitably so. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, Harry volunteers to be this money guy, and, like, this is meticulously planned because he, he the, the, the Scorpio killer calls him on a public phone booth, and Harry has to then race to another public phone booth somewhere else in the city. It's somewhere he could get to on foot, but, you know, he's getting a bit out of breath between each run, 
and the, the whole idea is that he's making sure he's not being followed by other police. That's what that's what right. he's trying to ascertain. Now, his partner, his new partner, is following him because they've, they've got like a like a, you know a, a prehistoric a you know comms wire that he's listening mm-hmm. to the phone call. So he's driving independently to each of these locations. Um, but all of this is very planned out, and it's a you know it's a really interesting sequence where, like Harry, at one point, like three guys try to mug him like, on the way mm-hmm. to one of the, the, the places, and he has to, like, pull out his gun and, like, make it clear that he's not to be messed with. But there is this risk, like, what if they steal the money? <laughs> like, he's, he's oh, got, yeah. you know, 100 or 200 grand, I think it is at this point, in this yellow bag, and, like, yeah, like, I mean, if he gets outnumbered... It, yeah, I mean, honestly, this... Not only that scene, but on either side of that, there's a scene where he's... I think it's immediately after that, actually. He's trying to run to the phone booth, and because of this mugging... He's been held up long enough that there's just an old guy next mm. to the phone booth who answers the phone first. And it's like one of the rules that Scorpio laid out was if someone else answers the phone, we're done. Like the girl dies. So this guy picks up and Scorpio's like, who was that? And it's like some old guy. I've never seen him before. Phone goes dead. He hangs up and you think like, oh, crap, that's it. But then it's obvious Scorpio enjoys the game. So he calls back and tells him like, OK, I'll give you another shot. And tells them the next place to go. But by the end, they also uh, make it to the park. And that's the final place that they want to go. And feeding back into that, this feels like a city that has just other things going on. Mm -hmm. Like, there's other things. There's just a couple there who's making out in the park. Like, Harry makes note of them. It's just like, all right, I'm still going up. And then this random guy comes up. Says that his name is Alice. And I guess is like propositioning him and then he just oh, says yeah i'm glad you brought this up because i i think i forgot even though i just watched the movie literally before we started i think <laughs> i forgot about this it was like yeah he gets propositioned by a guy and yeah. when harry says whatever he says the guy goes oh you're not vase are you i'd kill myself and i'm like well this went like really exactly. dark because yeah, like it's hard to say what what the movie's trying to say about society here, where everyone he runs into is somehow getting in the way of mm-hmm. saving this girl. When you know, obviously independently, it's not really any of their fault because they don't know they're what they're interfering with that they're, no, they're getting in the way. Obviously, the muggers are shitheads because they're right. just trying to mug them. But um, you know, it, it does paint a very kind of nasty view of what the world is right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, is all these people he runs even the guy who's going to commit suicide is kind of paints this weird picture um you get the sense that harry is this old school guy which i, I think this neatly leads into a fairly what felt like random at the time although now that we're talking about the themes maybe we can kind of like place it there's a fairly random scene it's, it's when they're they think they're, they're going to catch him going back to the same roof that they caught him on the first time and they're mm-hmm. waiting and they're watching and as they're waiting harry starts looking elsewhere and he, mm-hmm. he notices he's in a window there's a woman in her underwear, right? A young woman in her underwear. And then, mm. you know, it's the 70s, so yeah, we have to get full of bush. She, she comes back out and she's <laughs> fully naked uh, at the window. But she answers the door and there's uh, a couple who were down the street before who are at the door now. It's a man and a woman coming in and she's answering the door, the woman in the apartment, butt-ass naked. And mm. they immediately just start taking off the scarves and whatever. And it's like, yeah. okay, I, I'm a, this is probably implying they're about to have a threesome or, you know, mm-hmm. that, that's where it's going. Yeah. And I, I almost wonder if, like, the movie's telling me here that between this, between running into uh, like the gay prostitute, uh, between all these other things that it's bringing up, if mm. it's sort of saying like Harry's kind of from an older world that is more black and white, and he doesn't quite understand 
where the world's going. Because because when he because when he sees this, it's not like he's titillated. He goes, "Oh, look at these hanky panky, you know, mm-hmm. you know, thruple or whatever whatever you may say." Yeah. He he, it just kind of looks you know, disgruntled <laughs> by it. Yeah, I, but I like when say. it was when it was just the one girl, like he was keeping an eye on it, like he was enjoying the show. Mm. But then as soon as the other ones came in, he's like, "The hell is this? Like what what?" What is going on here? All right. And then it gets into the whole firefight part. But yeah, I do think it, you're right in that it's he comes from an older world. He is someone who he sees these things that back when, you know, 50s, even early 60s would have been so deeply frowned upon yeah. or so possibly even illegal a lot of times that have been made more culturally accepted due to the 60s, just massive culture change it is something that i think they were trying to get across that yes things like harry sees all these complicated things and he wants to just boil them down into good bad like he wants to be able to do like this is bad this is good this is whatever but he knows that the only things that he really cares about the only thing because if he cared about all that he'd go insane the reason that he's so distant i guess the reason that he seems so much of a dick is that he honestly just has to brush all that off if he doesn't mm-hmm. care about the lesser evils he only cares about you know he's in homicide he's in the like what would be considered the worst of the worst in terms of crimes he only cares about when that happens when he gets propositioned in the park he just tells the guy to basically leave like yeah, he, he doesn't, doesn't care. care yeah yeah and even though that it could potentially, I don't know the laws at the time, but that could potentially have been something that got him arrested by any other cop. But he's like, no, nah, there's more important things going on. So despite the fact that he may not like it, he does, he doesn't approve of it, but he just doesn't care to stop it either. He's just jaded in that way. So I, I guess that's that, the way I saw it. Yeah, I guess that would be, you could say that the movie is kind of this, I would say conservative viewpoint, but like mm-hmm. it, it's a viewpoint of like the old timers sort of like examining their place in a world where they think things used to be simpler and maybe the Mm. ending you could i mean we've already read it as he's thrown away the badge because he's accepting that he doesn't fit into the system but maybe if you look at through this lens it's the same thing effectively he doesn't he's accepting that he doesn't fit in the world anymore and that's why he's throwing the badge away is that he can't fit in this world so he has to walk away from it and i think that thematic ending whether, whether or not you want to look at it from the lens of him not fitting in the world or him not fitting in the police system anymore that's why I, I said earlier, uh, right at the start, I was like, how, how is there sequels where he's a cop? Because yeah, <laughs> this doesn't make sense. I feel like the end of the story is that he can't be a cop anymore. Honestly, this just feels like, we keep on making the superhero things, this feels like how he put on the mask. Yeah. This feels like how he's like, no, I have to work outside the system. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I'm sure some people read this fantasy and actually say, yeah, we need people like this in the real world. You know, hard, tough men who'll, who'll stop the bad oh, guys. Yeah. And there's a lot of reasons why that's, uh, you know, unrealistic and childish mm. and, you know, various other things. But in the context of a movie where you're you're looking at it as an allegory and you're looking at it as a, char- a movie character and what it's saying about the world, um, I, you know, as a character who doesn't seem to fit into the world that exists anymore mm-hmm. in a weird way. And he does yeah. come off as kind of unlikable in a lot of ways because of that at times. I, I mean, not to harp on it for too long, but uh, going back to the Suicide Jumper, Mm-hmm. It's. It seemed like he was. 
he recognized like, okay, this guy's trying to kill himself. And I can't quite place whether he was being totally serious about it. But when he got up there, the only thing he was saying to the guy was like, I hate the cleanup. Like mm-hmm. you, you, you guys who jump, you know, you make it all a big thing. And then we just got to clean it up afterwards. And it's always a pain in the ass to identify you after the fact. So can I just have your wallet so we can get that over with early? And it does seem like the sort of thing where, you know, these, obviously there have been suicide jumpers for years or whatever, but it does seem like a sort of thing where he's just so jaded by it. He's so like, no, if you, if you're actually going to kill yourself, then just do it in the privacy of your own home sort of thing, you know? Yeah. Like it doesn't have to be this whole big production, but he, he, somehow manages to turn that into him saving the guy's life which by the way i just want to go on record here sending harry callahan (laughs) up there to get a suicide jumper down may be the worst decision the police department has ever made it it made me think so much a little weapon because it's the same thing in that they send up martin riggs and he's Mm -hmm. also got some crazy ways to deal with the situation so yeah uh and he's different because he's a suicidal cop versus you know harry who's this you know hard-edged cynical asshole but yeah i think and you can also argue that he's he just knows so much what he's doing that by minimizing the spectacle that this guy is going to create by doing the suicide that it's actually going to take away some of the appeal for him so it it could be a tactical measured thing that he's doing but then like you say you can also read it as no he really just doesn't give a shit and he's just being very cold and frank with him why not both yeah yeah um so no, it's it's kind of frustrating. It's funny because Clint Eastwood, because you know he's still around now and he's still he's so old mm-hmm. now that he has felt like this crotchety old man who has like older views that don't quite fit with the world anymore. I'm not sure how true yeah. that was when he made this, but I mean, uh, cl- clearly it's to some extent. But like one other scene, just to uh, really drive home the point, um, they're going around town because they after they saw the guy on the roof, they said like, oh, he has this color bag, a tan bag, I think it is. And they're driving around town and they find a guy who has a tan bag. And they follow him back to his home. And Harry goes and basically tries to peek into the window to see who this guy is, what he has the bag for. Inside is the guy, but also a woman who I believe is topless the whole time. Uh, I have her name here. Hold on. Uh, (laughs) Hot Mary. That's it. No, she does start off with a top pod. She t- the reason why she takes off her top is because when the guy opens the case, it turns out this bag instead is just filled with clothes and she's going to try on the clothes, presumably. Gotcha. But regardless, uh, as he's peeping into this place, a bunch of guys come up and start roughing him up because he's peeping into this woman's house and they consider yeah. him like to be that. But Harry, you know, cop, his partner comes up, says, hey, you guys are assaulting an officer. You're under arrest. And Harry tells him, no, let him go. And I think that that goes back to that old school morality of these guys were doing the right what thing. they believed was right. Yeah. So he's just like, no, like, let him go. They clearly, they're on the side of good here. Even if they were mistaken, they're on the side of good. Which, I mean, arguably that might be one of the first things that he does or choices that he makes where you kind of like, you know, start to like him a bit because, you know, fundamentally, like he realizes how it looked him peeping in on the window right from their perspective but he does you know he says no like they're they're doing the right thing if i were them i probably would do the same thing if i caught someone doing this so Mm -hmm. you let them go it doesn't matter that i'm technically a cop and they punch me like it's fine 
right. you know, it, it, it sets up that he, like, there is some fundamental morals in there that you can side with, even if you, you know, they fall apart and if you put them into a real world context and start to, yeah. you know, break them down. But, right. uh, yeah, it's... <laughs> It turns out to be quite a character, character, fascinating character study, and I suppose in a weird way. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe you know we're talking about him representing like older ideas, older values, not necessarily bad values. You know, the idea of like wanting to catch bad guys and protect the you know the the the, the vulnerable and the innocent. Like, there's nothing wrong with those elements. Like, people are never going to disagree with those ideals. Right. Uh, but how how like the the way to do that is changed. Uh, you know, in time. Yeah. I mean, I do believe that this movie does exist purely out of the post-Vietnam era, mm. where pre- prior to that, like, you know, there was this American exceptionalism of, we go into a war, we fight the right side, and we win. And then post-Vietnam, you know, it was a war nobody wanted, it was a war we lost, it was a war that may not have been justified in the first place. That's what shakes up the black and white morality of when Harry came from, and makes it a more shade of gray in a world where he doesn't belong anymore where are we doing the right thing isn't a question that he ever would have considered before that is a very interesting point to bring up i I would argue that maybe the appeal of the character at the time was that audiences wanted a character who it was just clear right and wrong and Mm -hmm. like because you know this is 1971 it's right at the end of the vietnam war i believe so yeah yeah um like the, the appeal of this at the time might have been here's a clear villain here's the clear hero, you want to see the hero succeed. Because, yeah, the Vietnam War was kind of the first war that was so, you know, publicly available through media that people had opinions and a lot of people see it as, like, an unjust war and a lot of Americans specifically saw it as, we're the bad guys here, we shouldn't be doing this. Um, Stop this. So just just for context, uh, Vietnam War ended in 75. So this was still ongoing at the time. Wait, all the way to 75? It said Fall of Saigon happened in 1975, which was the mark of the end of the war. So, yes. I, could, I would have sworn it was like 72. Same, definitely, but regardless. Yeah, okay, fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. Um, all right. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, that those feelings were still ongoing, even if the war hadn't ended. Yeah, sure, for sure. Yeah. Those, those feelings of uncertainty about like what is right, what is wrong. To have that character come in and be like, no, this is crystal clear the right thing to do, the wrong thing to do, and what character should be rooted for in that discussion. Yeah, yeah. And maybe you could say that it's not even necessarily trying to long for things to be simpler again. It's just trying to make it clear that there's some, some things that we can still maybe agree on even in this more complex world yeah. that perhaps we should, you know, consider. And, uh, you know... Um, yeah, I think the time period absolutely plays into a lot of what this movie is. Um, I mean, I do want to. I do want to point out just one little wardrobe choice. I don't know how intentional it was, but mm-hmm. uh, pretty much every time that Scorpio's on screen, he's wearing a belt buckle that is the peace symbol. Mm. So for that to be diametrically opposed, you know, the hippie peace symbol to Clint Eastwood's character of a more conservative view, I feel like that speaks volumes to itself. It does, yeah. Um, it's especially because it gets damaged at one point after he's been beat up or or whatever, mm-hmm. and it's kind of like, you know, it's just like half bent and you know, you mm-hmm. know so it's this misshaping towards the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, 
that that's an interesting detail to think about and like like trying to tie the villain to to the peace side of like the political mm-hmm. movement is a bit of an odd you know thing to look at in a present day context i think well i th- i don't think that he actually believes in it i oh, mean sure, that's, yeah. that's my own personal i don't think he actually believes in it but i think from a viewpoint of you know the morals and like where everybody's ethics line up here it would be the thing that I think that the change of the 60s is probably what Harry's biggest enemy is. It's the change that brought that around where not everything was so black and white anymore. There was a lot more gray area to what people were doing and compared to the way that he was brought up. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Rather than, yeah, the Scorpio killer representing certain people it's more mm. about what that symbol means to to harry right. instead yeah uh so no uh fascinating stuff there's a lot of good set pieces in here as far as just like 10 sequences you know obviously the harry going from phone to phone in the middle with the, with the money is really well done and then ultimately going back to the uh, to look for him and find him at the football field a lot of great mm. big epic shots uh the big kind of like you know final set pieces of the film with the school bus uh, leading to the the quarry is you know harry like and it's a really epic movie moment like i, I think it's the probably the most cinematic moment of the whole movie is oh, yeah. scorpio's on the bus and he's holding a gun up to the, the bus driver and the kids are all scared and he's like happy because like, the, the mayor's told him on the phone like you're getting what you want there's a jet waiting for you there's going to be all this money like we're, we're buckling we're bending over and giving you everything you want because we can't have mm-hmm. any more dead kids and yeah. He's driving down, he's, he's going off the off-ramp, the the highway, and as they're going down this off-ramp, there's like a sort of like small bridge going over the, the road, and mm-hmm. just as he turns, and he, at first he's really small, but you can just tell from the pose that it's Harry. You can just, you know yeah. f- just from the distance that it's Harry, and he's just standing there with his sunglasses on like a badass, just waiting, <laughs> and... The way Scorpio reacts to this, and again, I need to go, but this is the thing, we, we keep comparing Scorpio to the Joker, I don't think he's like Joker from this time period, I think he's a, he's a more modern Joker, oh, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's worth mentioning, uh, but like the way he reacts and gets upset and like takes the wheel and, you know, tries to, to you know, swerve or, you know, and he's, he's looking out for him and Harry obviously, he, action moment, he jumps on the top of the bus and we get like a, yeah. you know, a stunt sequence, which is quite impressive looking and oh, yeah. uh, leads to the, a chase in this quarry. Uh, which ends up at the, the little the little lake or whatever it is uh, by the quarry where the, the final shoot happens. And that's where he repeats the line. He's like, uh, you know, he's, he's shot at him a number of times. And he's like, well, five shots or six shots. Obviously, early on in the film, when he does it to the bank robber, it turns out it was six shots and he had none left. And mm. the bank robber's actually quite pissed because he's like, I got to know, man. Like, I've got to know if you had one left. Because he, he chose not to reach for his gun so mm. that Harry wouldn't have to shoot him. But then Harry just points at him and pulls the trigger and it's, you know, click. It's empty. At the end, uh, Scorpio does not make that choice. He reaches for his gun, uh, and Harry, you know, he does have that one last bullet, and mm. it, you know, kills him into the water. Which I really, now that I knew that he was going to give that line again, I really wanted to go back because I swear to God, he fired like twelve shots. There were so many shots fired at that. I'll point. be honest, I forgot he was going to say it again, again at the end because I I wasn't counting the first because the, the, when the first scene was coming up, I knew this was the the, the five or six shots thing, mm-hmm. so I was paying attention and I was counting. <laughs> um, technically there is a sixth shot, but I don't think it's Harry's, like because because you, mm-hmm. you don't necessarily see him every time you hear a gunshot. Um, right. I think I think there's at least enough margin for error that, that it was, you know, 
uh, uh, well, it turned out to be six actually. Uh, you know, like so. Yeah. If you're mm-hmm. counting, I think you can count six in there, and it's like okay, you know, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, but no, big, yeah. big set piece at the end is really great. Like you know, it, it feels like uh, it feels like Scorpio. Uh, as time is is numbered now, now that Harry's off the leash, like it doesn't oh, yeah. matter. Like he's coming for him now, and there's nothing that's going but to stop him. Harry, Harry is in the office as they're saying we're giving him whatever he wants. Yeah, and he immediately says, "Stop playing his game. Like this is never going to end if you keep playing his game." And Mayor objects. Obviously, their kids on the line, but then. Harry just walks out of the office. He gives... I feel like every time Harry leaves the office, he's like, one-liner, and then leaves. <laughs> but regardless, he leaves the office, and then you don't see him again, and they do an extended scene on the bus at that point. That's the point where, like, he yells at the kids, he tells them, uh, keeps singing, whatever like that. He does the whole thing. So it's probably a good two to three minutes before you get that shot of Harry on the bridge, just waiting for it, and you're like... Oh, this is what he was planning. And then you get the whole thing. It's just a nice little build up of like, we know Harry's about to go do something. We just don't know what it is yet. It's a very epic entrance. And it's it's definitely, I think when I first saw this movie, it really surprised me how big the ending felt. Like I wasn't mm-hmm. expecting to feel like this battle for the, the soul of the city, like hunting down <laughs> this killer who's, who's killing kids. And like Harry how is many, this. How many Dark Knight references do you think we could stuff into this? <laughs> oh, so many, so many. <laughs> Um, I, it just it lends itself so much to the comparisons because we are dealing with good and evil and we're dealing with like talking about all these different things and you know one of the other things that I wanted to bring up especially in relating in relationships to talking about Harry you know not really belonging in this world anymore and this being this divide where the younger people are different um, when he first meets his new partner uh, Chico mm-hmm. he's like oh you're a college graduate you 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 got you've got yeah. a degree you're, you're a college educated person and that's actually kind of a running trope as well is that you have like the, the begruntled old cup when oh we've got this guy with a degree who's studied you know criminology sociology <laughs> you know you, you've done book learning i've actually been out in the streets you know earning my stripes mm-hmm. blah blah right but he has you know it's not too heavy but he has that little bit of attitude of like oh you're a college guy okay okay we'll make it work but yeah it does treat him well enough like once they're on the job like he shows some resistance to working with them but once mm-hmm. he's told he has to, he's not a dick to him. You know, he still yeah. just kind of works with him and it's fine. There's a scene, though. So when they're at the park and he's getting beat up, uh, Chico comes in and takes some shots at, uh, at Scorpio. And he gets shot, right? Uh, Chico takes a hit or two and goes down. And there's one more scene with him later on. We find, we hear that he's okay. He's, he was in a hospital. He's going to be all fine and, and you know, right. after some healing. But mm-hmm. there's a scene where Harry goes to visit him and Chico's wife or girlfriend is is there as well. I believe it's wife. Yeah. yeah. And Chico says that he's not sure if he's going to come back. Because Harry's like, oh, you know, when you come back, you know, like I've, I've said, hey, you can make him my permanent partner. Which shows that he's bonded a little bit and he's like, oh, you know what? He took a bullet for trying to help me. Like, I'm going to trust him now. He's earned his respect in a really kind of old school way, I suppose. But Chico mm-hmm. says, you know, I, I don't know if I'm going to. Like, I, you know, I, I actually have enough qualifications to go down the teaching route. Maybe I could become a teacher and just, you know, do that instead. And Harry didn't really respond to it at first, but when he gets downstairs with the wife after they've left, uh, you know, this, you know... Uh, I not... think it's just a hospital, but it yeah. does seem more like a spa, sort of. It looked more like, yeah, like a rehab or like a fancy rehab centre or something yeah. where, where he was hanging out, but... They get downstairs and he's talking to the wife and she's talking about how it's, you know, like, I think part of his decision is on me because, like, I, I don't know if I can be a cop's wife, you know, that's worrying and, 
you know, what might happen mm. to him and all this. And Harry does eventually say, you know, if he is thinking of leaving, like, like he, he gets it and he, like, yeah, it's maybe not for him. Like, maybe he's better than being part of this life. He doesn't deserve to, you know, do, like, I remember the exact line was, but he says something yeah. of an understanding nature about it. And I, I almost, like, see this, like, tying into what we've been saying about how, yeah, he realizes that this young guy, Chico, is part of this new world that's not his. And mm. he's like, yeah, he maybe shouldn't be in here. Uh, and obviously by the end, he's, like, giving up the system and seeing that he can't be part of it at all. So maybe you could argue that Chico should be the one who's, like, the driving force in the new police that's maybe going to tackle yeah. things differently. But, you know, I, I do think that, like, acknowledgement from him uh, and not looking down on him from wanting to maybe, like, leave this life is, mm-hmm. again, another sign of understanding that Harry is learning, like, how perhaps out of touch he is with certain things. Yeah, I mean, I think they the one part that they specifically say during that conversation is talking about Harry's wife um, mm-hmm. herself and how she ended up dying of a drunk driving accident. Someone just smashed into her and she died. Like, nothing too big on it but it was just how she ended up i like dying. that it was a, a random ch- it wasn't like someone like was taking revenge on him or anything. it was just a right. random accident yeah yeah right up until you get to dirty harry seven or whatever and it turns out the drunk driver <laughs> was actually scorpio's brother um but yeah no it's it's very much a random thing but he specifically says that she never really got used to it either she was never used to being a cop's wife to begin with so I, again, can't remember exactly how the conversation goes, but the end line is basically the wife asking, so why are you still a cop? Like, if if you're okay with Chico leaving, if you're okay with, you know, your your wife was never okay with it, why are you still a cop? And he straight up says, like, I don't have a good answer. Like, yeah, it's just what I'm good at. It's just what I do. It's what I've always done and it's what I'll continue to do. So... I think that that plays a lot more into the ending as well. Like he's mm. seen this job literally take out a bright eyed newcomer on his watch. He's seen the change in the world. He's seen all this. And then on top of it, he's seen how bureaucracy holds him back. Like there is no reason for him to be around anymore. And I think that that, that conversation with Chico and his wife may have been one of the instigating factors where he is yeah. Yeah. like, no, this is there. I forgot that there is a way out besides me dying. Yeah, I, I think I, I I like that the character has to really wrestle with that question, and because he doesn't have an answer when when he's asked this, um, I, I I think it's more interesting and a, a a more unique choice that instead of the partner dying for him to learn this lesson, it's actually mm. almost a little more powerful that he lives but has just chosen to like get out like like he's made a, a choice and it is you know as you say it's put it's taken away the spark from like you know at the start of the movie he was you know relatively enthusiastic he was excited to be a cop and mm-hmm. that's that's been taken from it's just gone that light's been snuffed out uh but he still gets to live he still gets to go on and and you know maybe that's the whole point is that harry sees that there is a way out and you know maybe he can too perhaps move on to something else yeah. Because, I mean, I'm not sure we even said this, but the reason that he's called Dirty Harry is that he takes all the dirtier jobs. He takes all the jobs that... And I feel like you really look at the list of jobs, he's just like, yeah, no, I'll do it. They are dangerous jobs. They are things that are putting his life at risk very clearly. They aren't things that evolve into that. Like, he is very clearly... He he volunteers to be the bag man for a serial killer. 
Yeah, and maybe my comparison to Martin Riggs and Lethal Weapon wasn't even as far-fetched as mm-hmm. I originally thought it was. Maybe he nah. is taking these jobs because he doesn't care if he lives or dies. Part of me, maybe that is because his wife died. Maybe he's lost that sense of humanity. Maybe that's also why he's kind of a prick. Uh, I'm not so sure that it's whether he lives or dies. I think that he wants off the job, and he just doesn't see any way off the job except for dying. You can, you can almost look at it another way, though, like... He does provide this service where he can be the one to take these jobs so other people don't have to. It kind of makes him this valuable guy to have around in that sense. Um, So, in a weird way, him being chased off by the end uh, from that life, like, does leave a hole that perhaps... Mm -hmm. Maybe it does need to be left. Maybe things have to evolve and Harry just can't be a part of the new... It's it's a shame there's sequels because I think the the, the sequels (laughs) making him a cop again and, like going through the tropes and they're probably some of them are probably entertaining in their own right but yeah i'm pretty sure none of them are going to like come close to this first film because this first film feels like it has a lot to say or at least a lot of questions to provoke on us so even if we disagree with some of the messages the film may have tried to have at the time all the questions that it's putting forth are are fascinating to talk about and definitely get you thinking about the themes about the character and about what it's saying about the system and society and morality and you know all these different things yes absolutely i mean it is definitely there is a reason that this movie started as a single film presumably and then evolved into this larger franchise it hit a chord with how clearly it got its message across with how well it hit and resonated with an audience of we all are feeling this sort of uneasiness and there is just this desire for a clear cut no this is good this is evil so yeah i think once he leaves the force it is impossible to really get back that clear cutness so anything that goes beyond this point now is going to be more and more shades of gray and either it's going to be movies about how harry adapts to that or it's going to be basically trying to apply black and white morality to things that as an audience we don't agree with as mm. being as black and white so or maybe the simplest answer is that they'll effectively just undo the arc and just have him be a cop again so they can keep oh yeah i mean probably know, do, doing typical detective you know gruff stories uh but i mean how do you explain that then to the character because as soon as if they were to do the scene where he throws the badge and then it went on for another five minutes of you know, him trying to find a life outside of it or something like that and ends up finding whatever. I could believe he would come back to the Force. But when you end it, when your final shot is him throwing away the badge... That's your dramatic point. Roll. That's your... Exactly. Yeah, that's, that's the one that has to stay. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, maybe they'll do the thing where it's like, oh, no, he's just... Uh, he's just here as some help. He's an outside... <laughs> Which is kind of like a Mad Max style trope. Like that, that's kind of what Mad Max started to do after the first movie. Is like he's just this wanderer who comes in and helps whoever he, you know, whatever community he comes a part of, right. or group of people that he ends up being around. He'll end up helping their cause and then move on. He's like this, you know, wanderer who just keeps, mm-hmm. you know, going from thing to thing. Um, now I don't remember the sequels well enough to really even imply what I think of them. Um, I remember never seen them, so. there's at least a couple of partners who do bait it. <laughs> that's like the only thing I remember. <laughs> uh call that mailed spoilers if you want but i i you know i we'll, we'll find out soon though because uh next yeah. episode we'll be looking at magnum force which is the uh the second film in the the series so looking forward to it. look out for that uh but 
that was a surprisingly analytical and thematic <laughs> discussion and character study of a conversation. Not every movie we talk about, in fact, I'm going to guess that even the rest of the movies in this franchise are going to become more <laughs> normal reviews in which we're talking about all the the weird choices that are made and, Fair. you know, but when we get a good movie like this, we will mm-hmm. break it down and properly dig into it. So hopefully this very analytical conversation is made for a good first episode. I hope it has. If not, just write it all down and use it as your film class thesis. Yes, yes. Um, and do me a favor. <laughs> take, take a screenshot of like the citation where we're mm. citated. Because I just want oh, to absolutely. know that we're in a university paper somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we could be someone's source. How, 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 how does that strike you? That's I mean, great. we made up all of our opinions there i don't know how much of a reliable <laughs> source we are but hey all sources are just someone's opinion <laughs> fundamentally yeah. i mean there's facts to it but yeah we've got no way i think uh not today's age so uh, you know it's the we leave to rate the movie um yes so we're going to rate it out of 10 but we also have our own little secondary scale that we're going to apply at the end of this show as well Correct. uh so first things first what are you giving the movie out of 10 out of 10 I believe, and I'm... See, it's the first rating that's always a problem because it sets the tone for every movie <laughs> later on. But after a lot of thinking, I think I'm going to go ahead and give Dirty Harry an 8. Yeah. And I think that there's a reason it's a classic. It's a reason that it has managed to stick around because God knows how many 70s, like, dirty cop movies have just been completely forgotten. This one has managed to... Stand the test of time. It's managed to spawn all these sequels to it. There's something special about this movie. Obviously, it does still have its own problems. That's why it's not 9 or a 10. There are still flaws to it. Um, I would say, I know it's just me personally, apparently, who thought, you know, this movie had like three endings to it. (laughs) Um, And I do... Not so much the first one, obviously, but the second one, I did actually have to check the time left on the movie and be like, is this, is this it? Or is this how we end it? And I saw there was still half an hour and I was like, okay, no, never mind, Keep going. Um, but yeah, little flaws like that are enough to get it down those points. But for the most part, I think that it, if you come at it from not an action movie so much as, as we've been saying, pretty much a character study. There's a lot more to this movie than just the witty one-liners and Mm. the fight scenes. There is a deeper underlying current to this that does make it stand out among all the 70s guy-with-a-gun movies. So Yeah, and I think even without that underlying side to it, like I I would say that it's less of an action movie. I know know people would uh, jump to that conclusion because it's got an action movie sounding title. You've got Clint Eastwood, Mm. you've got... And there are some action sequences to an extent. I would say it's more of a thriller. It's more of a, uh, yeah, you know, it's more of a tense thriller. And I would say that surface level thriller plot is also just very entertaining. And like, you know, you're kind of on the edge of your seat. You're enjoying the, you know, will they catch them? Those victims at stake. That stuff works in just a, you know, a surface level way. But then you've got all this underlying stuff with the character and the, the social stuff that's kind of baked into it through that character. Uh, I think that's very interesting. And you know, I certainly wasn't thinking about this the first time I saw it. So this was a far more uh, enriching oh, yeah. viewing. Um, 
Which is why I like talking about movies. Now, sometimes it's like making fun of the bad ones, but sometimes <laughs> we get to talk about a good one and you get to sort of break down why why there's more meat in the bone than maybe you think there is to begin with. Beauty of this show is we can flip-flop between the two of those, like, um, every week. And we will. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I would hasten to suggest it's going to just be a downward slope until we're done with this franchise, and then it'll maybe, maybe spike. Although, we've already decided what the second thing is going to be. I don't think it's going to spike that high. <laughs> it's, a, it's a tiny little beep. Um, uh, we are going to have patrons vote on some of the themes and yes. uh, the franchises. Uh, the second theme or franchise has already been picked because we're just going to, we're doing something Christmassy because it's going to the way it's going to work out is it'll be yep. three weeks in December so we're just going to we've picked a Christmas thing for that but uh, there'll be votes and things after that. Am I rating though? Um, am I either am I either saying the exact same score as you or I'm bumping it to an eight point five? I would agree okay. it doesn't quite get to the nine. Like I would agree That's that it, it it just kind of falls short of that. But it's hard for me not to go a little bit above the eight after the conversation we just had. That's you know? fair. Like, I, just, I, I mean, I, I sat and thought about that score for a good hour before our conversation oh, really? just to make sure <laughs> my rating scale would be. So I couldn't let our conversation affect the sure, show. Sure. I mean, I, I love when I come in to review, and I've done it sometimes with some of the others where I'll come in and I'll think, oh, yeah, it was good. It was a seven. And then we'll talk about it. I'll go, you know what? No, that was a god, at least an eight. Because, like, yeah. after talking about it, it's, 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 it's become a better movie. And that's, that always mm. feels great when that happens. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, um, I don't want to say it happened that much here, but I do think the, the conversation has enhanced uh, my appreciation of it. And next time I see it, when that eventually happens, it'll be an even better viewing because I'll be thinking about all these ideas when I'm watching it now. Mm. And I'll, I'll pay attention to them more. So, yeah. Uh, so hopefully uh, we've helped your uh, enjoyment and appreciation of Dirty Harry. Uh, we will Wait, be doing... is it an 8 or an 8.5? You never said. I'll be nice. I'll say 8.5. All right. Cool. I'll say 8.5. Uh, and the second scale, this one's probably quite easy for this first one. Uh, so yes. to go with the title of the show, The Collector's Cut, uh, obviously it's a play on the phrase Director's Cut, which is the idea that you're curating, uh, and a director, you're curating your perfect version of the movie and cutting out the scenes mm-hmm. you don't need. Uh, the collector's cut, the idea is, is that we're curating your collection, where we're saying you don't need this or you do need this, um, or maybe some things in between. Uh, yep. So the scale for this, and this was David's concoction, uh, I'll give him the credit for this. I'm uh, quirky. So when I say, David, does it make the cut, which I'm going to do at the end of every episode, mm-hmm. he will say one of the following, and then I'll also give one as well, and I'll, I'll agree mm. or disagree, I suppose. But uh, yes. a cut above is the highest, uh, ad, uh, you know, adulation. And it's worth mentioning, the reason why we still have the 10-point scale here mm. is because you can have a 5 out of 10 that everyone needs to own. I would, I mean, I would, if we're, we're never going to get to it because it's not part of a franchise, but, like, yeah. The Room is very clearly, oh, yes. like, a 2 or a 3. But you're going to own that. I mean, I would argue it's even a 1. <laughs> but, <Yeah. laughs> it, but it's a must-have and it's a must-watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yes, that, that's the point. Uh, so, a cut above... It's just, you need to have it, uh, unless you just happen to disagree with the majority and don't like it, you need to have mm-hmm. it. Uh, then you've got makes the cut, which is worth having, right? Simple. Yep. Uh, middle tier is uh, cutting it close. I'll, I'll say, you give me two options here, I'll say cutting it close is the better of the two. Uh, right. Which is, you know, kind of middling, like, you know, depending on your taste, you might want it, you might see value in it. Uh, cut from the collection is not worth having. Um, and then finally, the lowest uh, accommodation here 
as uh, cut your losses. Okay. So that that, that is our, our five-tier system that we're going to apply in addition to the traditional out of ten rating. So, uh, David, does Dirty yes. Harry make the cut? Dirty Harry makes the cut. <laughs> I wouldn't quite give it a cut above yet, again, because I am a little bit scared of getting that high in the rating scale quite yet. And I didn't quite... While I do think Dirty Harry is a movie that everyone has to see at least mm. once, I think that it's worth watching. In terms of keeping it around, I do think that it is definitely more to taste. Uh, for example, I watched it with my girlfriend the other night uh, just to watch it for the first time. She didn't like it at all. She, <laughs> she, <laughs> she, she was not a huge fan of you know the guns and all the fighting and whatnot. And that's fair, yeah, fair enough. But fair enough. She at least gave it a shot. She saw it through. So here's, here's I the, do think it is here's the real making question. the cut. I've got a real question. Yes. Is she going to watch the sequels with you? She is not. Okay. She has already <laughs> said that. <laughs> I was just curious because it'd be like, oh, like she didn't like the first one. What's she going to think of the sequels? Yep. When she has to... <laughs> nope. I will be sitting in my office by myself watching those, oh, I guess. That's, that's a shame. Uh, that's all right. Okay. That's cool. That's cool. Um, I like, you know, I can't argue with that really. Um, like, I'm someone who, like, I like collecting movies, and I like having access to movies that I think are, are worth having. So I, I guess on my scale, this maybe is a bit more to a cut above in that, okay. you know, unless you actively, because there's, there's always exceptions. Like, I, you know, I don't like, um, uh, what's that? Like, most people would say Beetlejuice, for example, is it? but I hate Tim Burton. Right, so right. Yeah. for me, it's like a, no, kill it with fire. I don't want it anywhere near me. But mm-hmm. you know, for most people, it is probably yeah, it's a classic. Obviously, you need that in your your collection. You know, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, I'll go a bit higher. I'll say a cut above, and just to alleviate okay. your fears, you you worrying about going too high in the scale. I am pretty confident that we will not be at this end of the scale <laughs> for at least two months. I don't know, man. I've I've okay. I've seen what we're picking next, and without spoiling it. <laughs> You're right, but... <laughs> I will be shocked. I will be shocked. Um, we'll reveal what the next franchise is when we do the last one of this. So in the Deadpool mm-hmm. episode of this, which is the fifth movie, we'll reveal what the... Uh, the the Christmas next season is. is yes. uh, yeah. Uh, the only other thing I'll say is that we can, we've already picked it, so we'll just reveal it. Uh, the Patreon yeah. bonus episode coming sometime in November, uh, which is loosely tying into Dirty Harry... Uh, is The Gauntlet, an R. Clint Eastwood movie. So uh, look out for that. If you're a patron, uh, $3 are up. You'll get access to that uh, sometime by the end of November. When in November? Right now, I don't know. We're recording this uh, early October because I'm going on a trip for a week next week. So yep. we're getting a head start. But uh, look forward to that. So yeah. But there you go. Yeah. That is uh, that is the first edition of The Collector's Cut. And that has been our thoughts on Dirty Harry, which means I will take this time to plead with you i've already kind of plugged patreon by explaining the the, the, the do the it bonus, again but i wasn't listening go to patreon.com slash tv if you want to support all the content that we do get bonus episodes early access to things which includes collector's cut you'll get it a day early if you're a patron at the five dollar tier up um, you can also support us by hitting the super thanks button on youtube and you can of course support us for completely free if you, can, if you can't afford to give us any any monies that's okay like, subscribe, comment, ding the bell for notifications, watch the content, share it on Twitter. You can get us on Twitter at Screams Midnight, which is the Mail Fuzz Movies Twitter, um, and just generally share us around. Also check links for the Discord and the description and things like that. 
but there you go. Uh, but that about does it. I think I've plugged everything that I need to plug. Uh, yeah, sounds good to me. Yeah, and I suppose actually, if you just discovered this channel uh, based on this, check out the other two movie pod- podcasts. The horror movie podcast that screams after midnight. There's over 500 episodes of me and Tim talking about <laughs> horror movies. Uh, and we're over 150 episodes of the Atomic Cinema Experiment, which is myself and Tara talking about sci-fi movies. Which this is this is the third show. This is the 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 surely to become the flagship title. Uh, oh, I'm sure. Yes, I'm, I'm sure. Absolutely, I'm sure it'll be the <laughs> the, the, the uh, I flagship's a good word. I'm trying to think of another word for flagship. You already nailed it. No, why am I even trying? That's what I do. I come in, I nail it, I leave. Hmm. Are you talking about your sexual escapades, or is this your uh, hobby as a <laughs> as a carpenter? Clearly, <laughs> the carpenter. But <laughs> also, uh, I just want to put out. I don't think we officially said, but next episode, Magnum Force. Uh, this is a weekly podcast, so this will be coming oh, sure. out yeah. next week yeah, after yeah. you watch this. Yeah, weekly show, nice and simple. Um, mm-hmm. But there you go. Uh, that is the show. That is Collector's Cut. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, we always appreciate it. Keep watching movies, and I'm at that point where I need an outro line, and I've not thought of one. Oh God! So what? One will settle in in time once I've I've mm-hmm. nailed something that I, I like as the as the outro for this show. Um, but uh, there's got to be some sort of pun. Uh, <laughs> don't land on the cutting room floor. <laughs> or something. I don't know. Marvelous. Call it. 